Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Town Hall with Mr. Z, and we're here on Facebook Live. We've got about 14 guests coming in. It looks like everybody's coming in slowly but surely. Just want to take a moment to reflect on how wonderful it's been these last two days uh, welcoming our kids back to ASW. It's been a powerful experience for all of us as we have found our navigation and charted our path to bring uh, so many of our kids back. As I said in the assemblies and as I said in some of my other dialogue with kids throughout the building, we had missed them terribly and it was so nice to have everybody back, as I called it, home. So I really appreciate all of your efforts, parents out there and getting us to this point. And I appreciate everyone who has contributed to this puzzle, whether it was our purchasing department or our communications department or our divisions and our leaders or our admissions office or HR. Everybody has contributed to this all the way down to all the facilities and maintenance and, and then every single staff member who came back last week and started this journey towards preparing for our opening, which by all measures has just felt so good to have everybody back with us. So thank you again, one and all. Uh, we have an agenda tonight that's a little bit uh, kind of flipping it. I wanted to spend some time tonight talking about hybrid learning. And I, and I say that by first articulating that we may be using the term hybrid a little bit differently than other places as we describe that at home option for about 6% of our population who are studying from home right now. And some of those are late arrivals. Some of those who are those who have chosen this because that's where they wanna be right now. And we're making wonderful progress in connecting that and then also preparing in the process for what we hope to achieve in virtual learning. So this is kind of practice as well as as hybrid learning. So uh, we're going to start with elementary and I'm going to introduce our principal, Mr. Flattiger, and I'm going to have him uh, introduce somebody else who's with us today to talk about this while I change the screen sharing. Mr. Flattiger. Hi, John. Great to be back with you here on Town Hall and with all of the parents. Thanks for tuning in. Yes, we're, uh, we're wanting to talk to you a little bit about the hybrid in the elementary. And I think one of the, the main things here is uh, that there's, it's kind of teacher talk of what, uh, of what the word hybrid really means. So I wanted to introduce um, Kate Monroe, who is one of our grade five teachers. Uh, she's been working with a whole team of, uh, on our staff because one of the important things about hybrid learning is that each one of the kids is still connected to their homeroom teacher as their uh, key source uh, and key connection to the building. So um, Kate's been working with all of our teachers to sort of coordinate an effort in the elementary school to make sure that what we're, what we're delivering with the hybrid aligns with what we do in our classrooms. And she's sort of spearheaded that. So she's gonna walk through a, a few details. Um, but I just wanted to share just from a broad sense of, um, of the, the hybrid aspect. And as I said, it's sort of that teacher language of what does hybrid really even mean? Um, because there is a mi misunderstanding of that. So when we talk about hybrid, we, what we actually really mean is that um, both the synchronous and the asynchronous learning pieces coming together. So I know that's again, teacher jargon. So let me try to make that make sense. Um, so in synchronous learning, um, 
that's essentially kids being able to connect with their classroom teacher and the other kids in the classroom in a real time kind of way of the things that are happening in the classroom. So that could be a Zoom call or something like that where they're actually participating in something that's actually happening on the spot in the classroom. And then there's the asynchronous component where they're maybe getting an assignment sent to them or they have a video to watch or something to research. Um, but that's the home aspect where they're either working more independently or with the parent's support um, to, to go through that asynchronous component. So since there's lots of misunderstandings, we thought it would be helpful if Kate kind of walked us through a little bit of that, of what it means in the elementary school um, at ASW. So if you don't mind, Kate, Take it away, Kate. I'll unmute myself. Okay, thank you, Jay. Um, so if you wouldn't mind just flipping to our next slide. Thank you so much. So um, as Jay was talking about, um, hybrid is that combination of synchronous and asynchronous learning for our hybrid students. So we're trying to get them into real-time classroom experiences as often as possible during the school day. Um, but it's also that online component of um, independent tasks that they might be doing at home as well. So that, that area in the middle, that sweet spot in the middle is where, where our hybrid learners are. So if you wouldn't mind going to the next one, John. I wanted to spend some time this evening just clarifying what the difference is between our hybrid model of learning in the elementary school versus what we were doing last spring, which was full on virtual learning. Um, so last spring from March 13th to June 5th, all the kids went virtual at the exact same time. Um, so this is where an entire class is learning remotely from home. They all have about the same amount of access to the classroom teacher. Um, they're receiving pretty similar assignments on Seesaw, home learning menus, et cetera, that are differentiated by their age and by their needs. Um, and it's pretty fixed in terms of every week, children will get a schedule for the week. Um, every day they know exactly how many Seesaw tasks they're going to be getting from which teachers. Um, they know when they'll get their home learning menus. All of those things are pretty fixed and set in the virtual learning model. Hybrid learning that we're trying out this fall looks a little bit different from this. And I, I like how John was mentioning, it's also a really good preparation though for possibly needing to go virtual at some point this year. Um, currently in our elementary school, students can sign up for three week increments of hybrid learning. Um, it's meant to be temporary. It's meant to be short term. The, the ultimate goal is that we can get these kids back in the classroom with their peers. You can't replicate um, the learning that goes on day to day within classrooms when you're online. We can do our best, but it's just not the same. So the goal is to ideally get students back in the classroom unless there is some you know, health condition or reason that they have to make it long term. It is meant to be temporary. A lot of our students right now are finishing up quarantine or moving countries or have a reason why they can't be with us for the first few weeks, but their ultimate plan is to get them back in the classroom. Um, with hybrid learning, most of our students are in class and there might just be one or two kids that are learning from home. Um, so it's a small number of students that are learning remotely. And our highest priority in elementary during these first few weeks is the social emotional well-being of our students. This is the first time in history 
that students and teachers have started a school year during a global pandemic. And there is so much to get used to that's brand new. So many new routines and protocols and procedures. And we wanna start slow and really take our time to make sure that our children are confident and comfortable um, being in school, wearing masks, you know, following safe protocols. That is our first priority these first few weeks. And then we will be easing into more of that focus on academics. So um, we just wanna make sure our, our students are healthy um, and feel safe in school. Um, so we're really focusing on that social emotional well-being aspect. Um, as Jay was mentioning, the synchronous component of hybrid learning is finding authentic uh, ways that we can link those kids at home to real-time classroom experiences during the school day. So this is where teachers are reaching out to those families and saying, hey, here's some great opportunities tomorrow for your child to join us um, in class. At the beginning of the year, that might look more like community building times, snack times. For our youngest learner, maybe it's during free play where they choose their favorite toy at home and they join their peers by playing simultaneously from a laptop. Um, and then as this continues in the weeks to come, it will be more academically focused and move more to those virtual learning aspects that we were used to like seesaw tasks um, that we were seeing in the spring. So we're trying to find as many ways as we can for kids to join us in the class in real time experiences. Uh, and then this, the asynchronous aspect is where teachers might be emailing home different assignments the kids can do in their own time, um, home learning menus, things like that, that they can either do um, ind independently or with parent support. Um, with our hybrid learning model, we make sure that our teachers are checking in with families at least once a week on Zoom, just to say, hey, how's it going? Um, are you thinking about returning? Um, what tech assistance do you need? Uh, in order for them to really meet the needs of each family. And uh, in case you haven't noticed, compared to our virtual model, this is a lot more flexible in nature. It's not going to look identical in, from every, uh, in every classroom. It's going to depend on the age of the students, the needs of the students, um, and that classroom community and what they need. So uh, it's much more flexible in nature um, than our virtual learning model that we had last spring. Um, and yeah, and again, the ultimate goal is that we're getting those students hopefully back into class with us. Yeah, and, um, and, Kate, and Kate, to talk about that, I mean, that's true. I mean, our hope is, and that's why we did the three-week chunks, is that we can convince families to come back, but we also are fully prepared to potentially push this out as needed for, you know, whatever comes along the way. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I love this in terms of the way it articulates kind of the differences between the two. I'm really thoughtful though about the weekly family check-ins because that's kind of a new feature. And I think it's important that to maybe emphasize or maybe talk about the parent partnership part of this and why we need parents and how that fits into this, whether it's virtual or hybrid, there's a real parent role here. And, and can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, I mean, in terms of hybrid learning, um, it, it is parents helping students get onto Zoom and just be present um, in the classroom. Um, and then it is also parents assisting children, um, especially our youngest learners, with that those asynchronous tasks that they need to be doing at home. It might be that writing task or watching a read aloud video. Um, 
this is so much more successful if we do have parent buy-in and parent support from home. And then, I mean, it's the same goes for the virtual learning model as well, that um, our most successful students with that were ones where parents were fully on board to support them um, with their daily tasks and the virtual learning that was occurring. But that weekly check-in on the, on the hybrid mode will give, a, I guess, a bit more opportunity for us to provide some guidance in that regard, particularly in the three-week chunks. John, if I can just jump in on that, that's, yeah. that's one of the things we are really mindful of when we've been uh, doing our planning is we know how hard that piece is. Uh, mm -hmm. I did it as a parent and many other people have been doing it as a parent. And we know that, you know, when you're not sitting in that classroom every day, it's hard to know exactly how the teacher might want something delivered or the resource that they're they're doing that you're not familiar with or maybe the methodology of the of the you know math uh, concept of, of how exactly to go through this so that's one of the things we really want to emphasize in this process and then into the virtual component is how can we uh, give the parent some of those tools and tips of how are we how are we wanting this to be delivered so that the child can be as as successful as possible on those particular tasks? Yeah, that's great, and I and I just I just love the social emotional focus too that sits at the base of this. It really helps us to see kids as kids and and maintain that connection and give them an opportunity to connect with their friends here and feel like they have um, that affinity to them. And actually, John, we wanted to share a couple of examples in that Perfect. regard, because I know people are asking, yeah, I mean, it sounds like something, but does it actually work? Um, mm -hmm. And if you can actually give us the next slide. There you go. Um, so that this is, um, this is a grade four classroom. And so you can see an example of um, this is somebody, they have one student in their classroom who wasn't obviously able to be there, is in the hybrid scenario, but is very much engaged in the classroom discussion that's happening in that small group. Um, we even had grade ones today in their first day of school. Uh, one of our grade one classrooms has three children who are doing hybrid learning. And that teacher had small group things oh. set up and they had um, uh, a laptop at each one of those stations so that um, the children who are on, on hybrid aren't always in that same small group together with just the other hybrid uh, students, but are actually um, you know, participating with all the other kids in a very natural way. And you'll be surprised how natural that is for, for kids. It feels, you know, to us who didn't grow up that way as, as you know, kind of foreign, but for the kids, it's not at all. Uh, my son zooms in every week with his grandparents to have lunch with them virtually, and it doesn't feel weird at all to him. So this is, this is something that our kids are actually quite familiar and comfortable with. And we're even doing it as a staff. We have, we have staff who are uh, in a virtual uh, um, home scenario at the moment, and they're joining us for staff meetings and so on in a real-time kind of way as well. So it is working. We have really adopted this as a change to the way we do things. It, it's amazing how it's kind of naturally grown into our fabric here. Yeah, I would say it's uh, it's 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 on our minds for sure. Whenever we're doing our planning, that okay, this this isn't um, the social emotional piece is for for people in the room, but it's also for everybody out there. And to be really honest, that includes the parent as well, because you you as parents are incredibly important to that guiding and supporting piece to make sure everybody's feeling like we're moving forward on the same path. Got it. Should I go to next? This is probably similar. So this is kids playing a bit, right, Kate? Yeah, so they were playing a game uh, with a student that was at home. Um, oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> so again, trying to find, you know, experiences that these kids can join in, um, join in with in real time. 
So that was just an, that was an example from today. Oh, that's wonderful. All right. Well, tie it up in a nutshell, Kate, what do you see as what's happening now? And uh, uh, what kinds of things should we be considering for the future? I mean, back when we did virtual school, I know we, we took kind of a layering approach and we learned as we went and we found new things to do. Do you see that happening in hybrid too, as we become more familiar with it? Do you think other things will be added to it as ideas emerge? I do. I, you know, I think, again, this foundational three weeks is so focused on the social emotional well being of our students. And I think that, you know, for kids continuing hybrid beyond that point, um, it would look maybe there would be more aspects of that virtual model that might be, you know, teachers recording themselves doing lessons in the classroom, more seesaw tasks added in more home learning menu options. Um, so I think more of those traditional virtual components would be added into hybrid for students that would be continuing that program. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thanks to all of your team there. I know that this was a team effort, Kate, and that everybody kind of contributed to this. And I want to thank you for presenting it to us tonight and, and certainly stick around in case there are any questions or more about this. Um, there was one person that just noted um, that grade one had a check-in today. Is that something that you know happened or is there something you can share about that? Yeah, they're setting up regular check-in time. So today would have been the very first one on that. That's what I thought. Okay, so yeah, confirming that is something that happened today. So it's great to hear that. And that, again, this is just all wonderful about keeping our, our family connected, our warrior family connected, no matter what we're facing together. Well, thank you guys, but stick around in case there are questions later. Mr. Sheehan, are you out there? I want to make sure I give upper school a little bit of voice. And you were sharing some stuff with me today um, as we were talking about this same topic. And you went around to a few more than a few classrooms. You want to share some of your insights today on hybrid learning in the upper school format? Thank you, John. Uh, first of all, thanks, Kate and Jay, for uh, those pictures and the wonderful presentation. I'd have to say, you take those pictures and just make those kids bigger. You have uh, what is happening in the upper school. It's been um, uh, it, it's been an amazing couple of days as I've walked classrooms and I've witnessed teachers and our students in the upper school classrooms connecting with the hybrid students. And just like the elementary school, there is an emphasis on, on the social emotional connection. In the opening days, we want to make sure that those in person and those at home are making sure that they feel uh, uh, like a valued member of our community. And um, for example, yesterday I was I walked into a grade 12 advisory classroom uh, run by Miss Abramenko. And she had the laptop with the hybrid student at home and they were all share, they were all doing a share. They were doing, playing the game, two truths and a lie. And uh, <laughs> so I got to hear um, Alex's true truths and a lie and then hear the kids in the class try to debate, well, what is it? Which, which, one, which ones are truths and which one is the lie? So it was really amazing. It was just so nice to see that the kids were being real, getting to know each other. Um, and that's, that, that is a big part of our advisory program, but it's happening in, in all of the classes, in the curricular classes too. I dropped by um, a grade 12 language and literature class run by one of our new teachers, Ms. Zarziska, 
And once again, there were four here, there were four students on Zoom and they were being handed around the room, once again, playing a get to, getting to know you uh, activity. And it was just, it was really nice, the laughter, um, just the, the loose feeling in the classroom at that time, it, it was nice to see. Um, but if I go all the way down to grade six, I'll start there. There's been, um, there's been great things happening at that level. Mrs. Sheehan, uh, maybe some of you know her, I'm, I, 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 I vaguely know her. She um, is the grade six team leader and, she, and the team, and she had put together a wonderful two-day transition for our grade six students, getting them acclimated to middle school, which is this, it's this big new kind of scary place. And of course, under these conditions, it's a little more daunting. But I walked through those classrooms and checked in with those teachers and how the hybrid kids are, are doing in those transitional activities. And they are right there. They're present with all of the other students. Once again, zooming in and being passed around, buddied up uh, or doing group work with other kids. And that's really nice. And, and I got to see Miss Noakes, uh, one of our new grade six language and literature teachers, actually um, just off to the side, working with one of the hybrid students as they were going from one activity to another. It was nice to see her make that connection and then pass that student over to another student. So that's throughout. I mean, I was in PE with Mr. Patak, middle school PE. And he was checking in with his four hybrid students. And while all the other kids were warming up, Mr. Patak was walking the kids on Zoom through what the opening activity would be, what the directions would be. Now he was going to give them some synchronous activities to engage in, um, but there is that everyday check-in, every period check-in. So that's sort of a basic expectation in the upper school. Of course, the kids are older they're more able to handle the technology at home. And uh, this is the, one, of the, one of the stark differences between the elementary school students and the upper school students where you know, they still need, at home, they still need supervision without a doubt, but they are able to handle that technology a little bit better. And the expectations for zooming in can be ratcheted up. Okay, so we, we don't, I don't wanna get anybody in any grade one parents getting their expectations too high that their kids can zoom in every period. That, that I, I think if you listen um, to, to Mr. Flatiger and, and Ms. Monroe, you'll know the difference there. Um, so again, from class to class, I heard wonderful stories and saw those hybrid kids zooming in and being a part of the activities. Of course, so Mr. Sheehan, just like uh, just like we were talking about with elementary, do you see this as kind of a, a wonderful training ground for the potential that we might have to go to virtual school? I mean, it sounds very much like we're laying some wonderful groundwork for that. Uh, no doubt. But I tell you, the weeks and weeks that we were in virtual school in the spring, um, yeah. That was uh, that was great training ground right there. And baptism by fire, our teachers learned a lot. And I must uh, I, I have to give a shout out to our tech team, Mr. Newdorf and his team, including our upper school tech coaches, Mr. Derry and Mr. May, they hopped right on this. Uh, they made available to our upper school classroom teachers a Zoom machine, a dedicated laptop 
to be used for students who are zooming in. That way the teacher still has his or her laptop and their technology for their usage. And then the kids on Zoom can be handed around the room and paired up with other students, buddied up or paired up with other students. So they, um, they did a fantastic job and they're answering or responding to all of our technology needs. And again, our teachers are just, I feel like, like the students, they are learning every day new techniques to engage the students in front of them and the students away from them to make sure that everybody is in sync with the learning experiences. We should, do, we should add to that shout out all the technical folks in the background in the IT office because to think about all of these different one-on-one -on -one conversations going around around the building, whether it's elementary and they're playing a game together or whether it's all these kids and all these different periods that are connecting with their classes in real time, um, that's impressive infrastructure in the background. And, and we really got to give a shout out to all the guys up in the back data center who are making sure all the plugs are connected in the right places because the fact that we're pulling this off is quite amazing. It really is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tremendous feat. Uh, started last February when, our when we had our first sort of hybrid students, you know, the students who had to self-quarantine coming back from winter holiday. And uh, they have, again, that tech team and then our teachers following suit have done such a wonderful job. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at, uh, it's a very steep learning curve, but everybody has just, has elevated their game so much. It's incredible. Yeah, it's been really brilliant. Um, and on the, on the real life side, Mr. Sheehan, I just wanna tell you, there's a couple of shout outs here on the Facebook page for a wonderful sixth grade transition. So we mastered it, even though we have uh, have been struggling with masks and everything else. Uh, it sounds like the sixth graders are having a pretty good time. They have. I, I can tell you this. The grade six teachers, um, they give guided tours around the school uh, for the grade six students in the first couple of days, the, the very first day. Uh, they were putting on I think tens of thousands of steps on their Fitbits and iWatches <laughs> and so on. Um, they showed those kids every because it is a complicated maze navigating the new zones of our school, right? And for our middle school students, they have to kind of go up and around. And there's a lot of, uh, again, a lot of complicated navigation. And uh, everybody did it with a great big smile. I know there, <laughs> I could tell uh, behind the mask, there were a lot of smiles, but it, it was, um, it, that was a tremendous feat to pull off in this time. Brilliant. No, it's all going really well. And I think one of the, the other thing we've seen, and, and I know you can reinforce this because you and I both stood in front of assemblies, is mask wearing has gone brilliantly. It sounds like the kids have really embraced it. They really understand how we're protecting each other. But we've seen really everybody just, you know, step up and do a great job with this. Right. I think, you know, kids, um, if this is a, they have to create these habits, right? And habits yeah. are not uh, inculcated in, in just a day, right? It's gonna take some time, but a quick glance, a quick nod, and it's amazing how quickly the kids will realize, even, even adults realize, oh, I'm not wearing my mask right now, or it's down. And, and it's so easy, you know, the kids are in the cafeteria, and of course their masks are down, they're eating, and then they wanna get up and clear their plate and, you know, and so on. 
and bring their things to the to the garbage can and forget they have their masks on, but very quickly adjust, right? So it will become uh, old hat, I'm sure, in very short time. And they're doing well with the distancing too and really finding ways to make sure they build some space in. But I also was just amazed today watching out of cafeteria as kids were heading back to class that like every single person without any prompting whatsoever was washing their hands. And it was just a steady stream. There was no question about it. Nobody trying to skip or pass it. It was like the person in front of them inspired them. And it was like that. And I think I saw that down in elementary today too. I, I saw kids walking up to our dispensers, just taking that moment to wash hands, whether it was coming in or coming back from recess or going between classes. So the hygiene and, and the hand washing too has just become woven into the fabric of our existence. Right. No, there's no question. And I stood near a disinfectant uh, dispenser out in front of the cafeteria for a while, just at, as, as school ended today. And it just it's incredible how many people just walk by and get a little spritz and, uh, and, <laughs> and wash their hands together. So it is, um, it's, it's nice to see that. I will say the, the social distancing is is a challenge. I'm sure it is in the elementary school. It is in the in the upper school. Our kids adore each other. They our our kids are very friendly. They want to hang out. They want to buddy up and be so close to each other. Uh, I mean, there have been many reminders over the last couple of days from uh, myself, and Mrs. Burnson, Mr. Krager, all the teachers and, and staff members. But the kids are responding well. Um, they apologize profusely and uh, just and and move on with their day. So they're they're taking the gentle reminders very well. Again, something just to weave in. I think we taught them in the assembly the elbow approach and had everybody checking elbows with each other and <laughs> doing those all kinds of up. things that you need to do. Elbows up, everybody. Create <laughs> some space. All right. Well, this is a marvelous segue on health practices, and I'm going to bring uh, Dr. Olachuk back. You, you, you're here with me again tonight, and uh, just in case there are any further questions out there, but I've got a surprise for you because I've got a video to share, and Mr. Flattiger, you'll be proud of this because it's another one coming from your neck of the woods. Um, so I want to share this two-minute video, and then we're ready to take any other questions anybody might have out there. But give me a second to put this on the screen, because I just fell in love with this today. I think it's so brilliant. So hold on a second while I optimize, and here we go. Hey, friends. Miss Kid here. I wanted to share a story about a time I was brave, and I got my COVID test at ASW. At first, I was a little bit unsure because I didn't know what it would be like. But I'm so glad I did it because now I know that it's super quick. I was a little worried that it would hurt, but actually it just tickled my nose a lot. Miss Crystal and I decided to call it the tickle test. Here's my story. <laughs> first, I went up to the testing table and I met my medic. She kind of looked like a beekeeper or an astronaut with her cool outfit but she's actually a very nice medic who's here to keep us safe, and her name is Miss Anya. It was helpful for me to realize that underneath the mask and the outfit was a kind person who's just like you and me. Miss Anya loves walnut ice cream. Her favorite color is green, and she loves baking cakes. She even has a French bulldog, just like Miss Hamlin does. Ms. Anya told me that there's about five other medics that come to do these tests for us, 
and they're all really kind humans that are here to help. First, I got my nose out of my mask for Miss Anya so that she could put the Q-tip in there. It's like a stick with a soft, fuzzy end on it. And she put it in my nose, and that's the part that tickled. I felt like I wanted to sneeze, achoo! But I took a deep breath, and voila, it was done. And I was a-okay. And then in a half an hour, I got to hear my test results and everything was good. Next, Miss Hamlin took the tickle test. Let's see how quick it is. <laughs> there goes Miss Anya with the Q-tip. Tickle, tickle, get a sample. Tickle, tickle, another nostril, and voila, done. And now for our next tickle test, we won't feel as worried. We hope this helped you to feel less worried too. Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> this is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, we sent out an article today, uh, Dr. Oleswak, and thank you for that, for adding to eNotes uh, this afternoon. Um, but any, any just general summary from you about how things are going and any updates that you want to add to what we've already pushed out? And then I, every parent, please throw your questions into the comments. I'm happy to take them and happy to pass them on. So go ahead. But Dr. Olashuk, what do you think so far? Well, first of all, I want to thank all of you guys for your patience. I know it's been uh, a bit uh, uh, a bit of an implementation challenge at the beginning. And it's typical, typically the case uh, everywhere we're doing this, to be honest, uh, for various reasons. And here we had some... Uh, you know, for example, on the last day before implementation, we discovered that there are some uh, teachers who are also parents, okay? And that was kind yeah. of a new thing for us. So uh, <laughs> we were a bit surprised, so we had to change the whole system. And then some of the issues that you guys were experienced with seeing were a result of that, because sometimes you registered as a parent, sometimes as a teacher, and we had two different email addresses, and uh, there were kids assigned to one, but not the other. So. Uh, so, um, uh, and obviously there were many other issues uh, with registration, et cetera. We fixed most of them. I think we are now uh, pretty much done with all the backlog of uh, support and technical questions that we have had. So uh, if, if there are any others, please let me know and please, um, uh, please do uh, reach out to me directly if you are not hearing from the support staff. And uh, otherwise, in terms of testing, I think it's uh, uh, everything is going smoothly. And uh, and uh, I think as of this or next week, uh, you guys should already have your day for testing, right? And you will be always tested on that same day every week. And the OK for School app will be showing you when is the next day for your test. And if you miss it for, for various reasons, it will remind you that uh, you should do it uh, as soon as possible. And um, what else? I think, no, I think uh, so far so good. And, uh, and again, uh, this week is still a bit, a bit uh, special because some of you were tested less than a week ago. Some of you were tested more than a week ago. Uh, but again, as of this week, we will get into the routine and everybody will get the same day and it will be much more predictable and, uh, and much easier to handle. 
That's brilliant. Yeah, I think we're we're getting back on that schedule. And I wrote that out to parents this morning in my daily bulletin. Uh, you know that we needed to wait for this first week to kind of stabilize that schedule yeah. for staff as well. I think we're we're stabilizing yeah. that. Um, got one question that came up. It's not a big one, but it's uh, we we have been talking about parents being able to opt into testing. And we're still probably another two, three weeks away from that. But when they do, and what I told them this morning is, you know, they're already seeing the survey for themselves as parents, but they have to switch to their kids, obviously, to do the survey for the okay for school for them. But the parent is set up so that when we go to parent testing, when we have that option, we're ready to go on the surveys as well. So that'll help us be prepared for that. And I presume, but then the question was, what about multiple parents? And and if there's a if there's more than one parent, is it the kids can only be attached to one parent, or can it be attached to two parents at the same time? Do you know? We can probably do two parents. For now, it's one parent. Uh, but um, I think as as long as we get both email addresses of both parents, then we can attach the kids to both parents. Then you have to obviously decide who is filling for who, because then, um, uh, although I think the app should not have an issue because once you fill the daily survey, it will be locked. Uh, So even if the other person is trying to do the same thing, then they will not be able to access the daily survey. So I think- uh, I think be able to submit it, obviously, uh, and undo it. Yeah, so I think it should be fine. And as you said, we should be up, and running with this approach in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So similarly to what we were just saying, uh, uh, Ina had a question out there about it says they are due on Sunday, but that's going to change as soon as their test result this week pops in, and then they'll find out what their day next week will be. Yeah, exactly. Because the app is showing for now, it's showing uh, the the date of the last test plus seven days. So if you were tested on Sunday, it's showing Sunday, but then... Uh, probably you will have another day this week and then this will be your day going forward and then the app will update the the next day as the following week. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I've got a question here. We have been holding to the 72 hours uh, from abroad travel uh, and then seven days for the identified countries and we're kind of regularly updating that list. And that's actually part of the form that parents sign as they actually ask, are asked that question about travel abroad. So we believe, yes, that we're holding to the 72 hours and we're estimating that based on actual moment of arrival. And so, but if, if they're within a couple hours, I'm presuming that that's not gonna be a big issue for us from a testing point of view. No, not an issue. And we had uh, we had actually a couple of uh, questions in the support uh, because obviously the uh, when the parents when somebody is answering, have you been abroad in the last seventy two hours? The app assumes that this is the day, so to, that today is the day. So it, it's not asking when exactly you came back. So it's adding seventy two yeah. hours to that day. So we, uh, I think we will update it uh, in the next iteration to ask you specifically when you returned so right. that the app is adding to that day, the 72 hours, not to today, because otherwise you will spend too many days. Because if you return two days ago, it's only one extra day or you know five extra right. days. So they're actually putting a date this... might help us on that regard, right? Yeah, so now we're resolving this case by case um, 
in the support uh, questions and answers. Uh, but going forward in the next uh, version, probably within the next week or two weeks, uh, we will add this feature to add the precise date of return. Got it. Um, the, ne the next one was similar to the previous question. So we had some kids published very short time ago, and then we dropped them into our regular schedules. So to answer the parent, yes, they, they had a shorter span of time between their test and their next test in order to get on this schedule that's going to go week to week now. And we're basing that on the fact that we have to have our population. We didn't want any exceptions. So there's no harm in doing an extra test in a little bit shorter space of time in order to get us on schedule. It's not really gonna hurt us at the end of the day. Correct, yeah. Okay, um, let's see, I wanna scroll down here. Um, question about parents travel versus kids travel mm -hmm. um, and how we're going to be calculating or dealing with that. Mm. So if a parent travels abroad and comes back, um, how, how is, what's your thinking on that and, and where we're going to go with that? It's a hard one because hard one, yeah. we, we don't know a lot of those details. We're really focusing on the kid. I think we talked about maybe shifting one of the questions for anybody in the family, but where, what are your thoughts on that right now? Well, it's obviously a tough one because, um, a lot of parents do travel quite a bit, although now I guess it's, uh, it's a bit less, I hope. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there will be, there will more likely be more parent travel than kid travel. So um, we, I, I, to be honest, I don't have an, a good answer yet, and we have to decide because, you know, obviously I would recommend for you guys when you do travel and you come back, to really be cautious because especially if you travel to the countries with, uh, you know, with higher, with these at-risk countries. Or if you see in the airplane, you know, it's a bit crowded or you're in the bar at the, at the airport, uh, you are getting more exposed than normal. So I would say be cautious in the first few days uh, with everybody in the, in the household uh, and at work, etc. Uh, because you are slightly, uh, you know, you have a slightly increased risk of, of having been exposed and obviously you know, it's it, it's a tough one to say. Okay, so when should you get tested? Well, I think this this three day uh, this three day window is good enough, is long enough to get us into the window of testing. So, uh, you know, for the parents who do travel a lot, I think it would make a lot of sense to opt in to this uh, testing system because then you can get tested weekly, and then we can also provide this uh, after travel testing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I think. Again, be, be careful, be mindful. Um, I don't have a good answer yet in terms of how it impacts kids. And I think we will have to uh, look at this. Yeah, and I, I recognize this one is, is, the, is a tough one. And it really speaks to this issue of how the survey is one component of what we're doing um, to protect us in the stop component of our model. But it really, the survey is as much about a check as it is about also suggesting behavior, suggesting things that we should and should not do. And I know I've reflected on this with a few parents who've written to me that, you know, these are the things in the app that we want a constant reminder of because these are the things we should be avoiding. 
And I had the same conversation with the kids in the assembly. As I said, if we're going to protect each other with masks, we also have to think broader. How are we going to protect each other by making good choices about what we do outside of school? And how do we keep ourselves within our, our safety bubble? And that's always going to be our issue is that everybody has to participate in that. And there's no way that we can control that from the school's point of view, other than to educate and continue to encourage. And, and I think it is about choosing a less risky lifestyle. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I had, uh, I had just, uh, I had the reflection that after last week testing, mm -hmm. the ASW is your safe bubble now. Right. And that's kind of, uh, I would say, I, I think it's the first safe bubble in Poland that exists, to be honest, because I don't know of any other uh, bubble, any other school, or any other organization yet. There will be more because obviously the, the other schools are starting a bit later and we're going to be working with a lot of them. But you guys are the first safe bubble. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit like being in the, uh, you know, in the... Starship, and uh, you're you're landing on a on a planet, and you kind of, you know, you 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 have this uh, oxygen in that uh, in that starship, but then when you walk outside, you know, you you feel a bit, uh, you know, a, a bit awkward. You are you're always at at constant threat. So so be careful and uh, and be mindful and and. Uh, you know, we do have to modify behaviors, and uh, and uh, I know it's not easy to modify behaviors, but I think. You know, there's so much effort that uh, the school is putting to make this a safe bubble. I think it's worthwhile to to broaden the reach of the safe bubble to your households, to your friends, and and others. Yep, safe practice and really thinking about it, which is which is yeah. great. Um, a, a parent just noted that it looks like the girl, their kids are attached to both parents, so it sounds like it is very viable. Oh, yeah. So we'll leave that one off to the side and say, yeah, that's correct. Uh, another parent's asking about the testing. I said, and as we said, wait till Friday, yeah. Friday at like five o'clock or maybe Saturday morning, just to be safe yeah. and then check the date and everything should be in and you should see the proper date for the next test that'll be coming next week. The other thing I'll mention parents, I'm going to start including tomorrow who's being tested that day at least for elementary. Middle and high have got a schedule of kids that's spread across the week. And those are published to the kids and they have a direct connection to them. So uh, don't worry about that. But for elementary, I'll tell you what grade levels are actually gonna be tested each day so that you know which kids are going to be going down to join our nurses and do the quick and simple tickle test. Um, Dr. Olashuk, you had in your video um, a blowing the nose before taking the test. And it's not something, while it's recommended, it's not something that's required. And no. we haven't really been doing that uh, consistently. Is there any concern about that? No concern. It's, uh, you know, the, the virus is usually present both in the mucosa and in, and in the excretions. It's probably at a much higher concentration in the mucosa. So it's good to clear the nose, uh, especially that the nose is also, you know, it's our filter for air. So it has a lot of other things than just, uh, uh, you know, mucus. In the mucus, there's other things. So I think it's just, it's, it's good to, to blow the nose. Obviously, it's the most important when it's in the morning. So 
uh, again, in a few months, uh, once we are ready to go into the home uh, swabbing routine, uh, this will be an important part because usually the nose is a bit more clogged in the morning and it's kind of stuffy, etc. So uh, that will be more important than once you're in school. You know, usually the, the noses are clear, but this is uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it is a it is a good practice to do it. Okay, sounds good. Um, hey, a, a question here. This is more of a medical question for you. It is about this safe bubble a little bit. But if grandma uh, is going to the hospital for a treatment or for anything and then comes back home, do you see any need to actually keep kids home? Or is again, because we're doing the testing and because of the distancing, what's your thoughts on that? It's kind of the same question as a parent traveling and coming back. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit like the, the same. So obviously hospitals, and, and depends what kind of hospital, but obviously hospitals are at a higher risk because you have a lot of people coming in, a lot of sick people and, um, and, uh, and you know, the, the practices in the hospitals are not necessarily uh, encouraging, you know, and uh, I would be anxious to go into a hospital these days. Uh, my wife is a, is a is a practicing physician, and she's anxious going to work on a daily basis. And I'm sure uh, that varies from place to place, right? It varies from place to place. Um, again, if you you know if you go to a uh, to an outpatient clinic for an eye checkup, I think you're fine. If you go for you know uh, oncological treatment, you're probably fine because I think they're really taking care of those facilities. If you're going to a regular hospital uh, to get, uh, you know, uh, 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 a heart uh, surgery, I would say you have been tested before, but I would get tested after as well. Mm -hmm. So I think it all depends. Uh, it all depends. And, you know, the, the longer you spend in the hospital, the more the hospital is... Um, a kind of, uh, you know, it has an outpatient clinic and lots of people are moving in and out. I would say be careful and uh, get mostly get grandma protected, uh, to be honest, because the, again, for the kids, uh, it's, it's not going to be that much of an issue because we're going to catch them very quickly, even if they do get uh, infected. Mm -hmm. uh, but grandma is at risk. Uh, so that's, that's where I would put more emphasis. So really more concern there than the other way. Um, there's a couple of different comments here about um, mask wearing. Obviously, we've always talked about that. But again, the idea behind mask wearing is more about indoor spaces yep. where even with doors open and windows open and lots of ventilation, it still is an enclosed space. And that's why we've taken the stand on masks inside. And we're using the out of doors area to give kids the break from the mask and, and, and then couple with that a higher degree of distancing. And, and again, can you just kind of round out that strategy as you know why we're doing it that way and how that's helping us? Well, it's part of the protect uh, pillar, you know. Uh, so we are obviously doing everything possible to reduce the risk that uh, we get somebody infected into the facility. Uh, but we are not going to be one hundred percent perfect. We we will be reducing the risk. We will be minimizing the risk, but there will always be a risk. With the weekly testing, what, what additionally we are achieving is that if somebody does get in, then we will catch that person and everybody else who got infected in the process within a week, okay? Mm -hmm. 
So that will, that's the that's the whole idea of this frequent testing of this frequent testing that even if there is you know penetration of the virus, then we catch everybody and we isolate them. Now the masks are an additional level of protection because there is uh, especially in indoor places. And I had I can't remember if I showed you. I think I did. I show, I did show you this slide in one of the first town halls, which showed this uh, office building in. Uh, in uh, Seoul, where one person got into the office building on the 11th floor, and then the person was sitting in one uh, kind of open space, and there was another open space on the other side of the building, and in that open space where this person was, 43% of people got infected. In the other open space on the other side of the building, same floor, only 3% people got infected. So it does make, you know, the, the indoor uh, spaces are very good uh, in terms of uh, having the virus kind of circling around. Obviously, you guys are doing a lot in terms of opening the windows, uh, getting the air ventilation, but I think it, it still makes a lot of sense, at least now, uh, to see how we get into the mask wearing habit. The mask wearing habit is good irrespective of whether you're at school or you're in, uh, you know, in church or you are in the shop or you are, you know, wandering around even uh, in the shopping mall. So I think it's, it's just nice to get into the habit. And the more we get into the habit, the more we get used to it. I think it will be easier for us uh, going forward as, uh, as uh, Mr. Sheehan was talking about, you know, the sixth graders, etc. And wearing the masks and remembering about the mask. I think it makes a lot of sense and it is a new habit and it is awkward for now, but I think, you know, within the next month or two, it will be kind of weird not to have a mask. So Exactly. And that's, <laughs> that's what I'm beginning to wonder now yeah. is like, you know, we're going to, we're going to feel like naked without them. <laughs> we will feel naked without them. And, and I think it will be a, you know, just like uh, somebody was making fun and that, uh, the anatomy books should be changed uh, and the airpods should become one of the body parts yeah uh, i think similarly the mask would become almost like a body part you know for us <laughs> absolutely i've got mine hanging around my neck right now so yeah there you know, are. It it's always always ready yeah. <laughs> oh gosh you know it's just it's, it, it you know when i go back to that japan uh, diagram in my head and that spread on the one side and the difference on the other side, and they weren't that far apart. No, and yet it was no. very clear that it's same floor travel yeah. between those two. You have to wonder what would it, what would the spread have been like if all those people had been wearing masks? Yeah, Probably exactly. Near zero, right? It, it would be it would near it would be near zero. Yeah, it would be near. And zero. that's and that's the thing we're understanding about this virus as we learn more and more. Correct me if I'm wrong but it's about the level of spread that it has to be at for it actually to be transmitted. And the mask mitigates that. Exactly, it's, it's, it's a little bit um, like this with every virus. You know, if you get one viral particle wandering around your nose, probably you will not feel anything and you know, your immune system will immediately kill it. If you get 100, probably the same. If you get 10,000, probably the same. Once you get into a million, uh, probably that's about the threshold. I don't know because nobody knows, but uh, 
but that's the, that's but the they're level. certainly yeah. guessing at this and certainly the statistics seem to prove that out right so that's the, that's the level so it's it's not like again it's not like uh, you breathe in three particles and you will get ill um but again remember all, i think i also showed you in one of the town halls this study which was showing that uh, <clears throat> an asymptomatic individual while breathing is excreting about 6000 viral particles per hour right so and obviously the mask will reduce it uh, you know by about 95 99% so again it's not going to be depending on the kind of mask you're wearing uh, so it's not about uh, uh, limiting the risk to zero, but you're significantly reducing this viral load. So if somebody is excreting 6,000 without a mask, it will be probably 600 or less with a mask. Yeah. Uh, and again, 600 from a perspective of our body, is it's nothing, you know. Uh, 6,000 is also not a lot, but uh, but it's already probably at the threshold somewhere. So uh, so that's where I think, again, we are trying to minimize risk everywhere. You know, it's, it's about making this... Uh, this sieve or however you want to call it, this filter, you know, finer, finer and finer and finer every every step of the way with the stop, protect, react protocol. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in the end, again, it's, it's, there will still be one opening this whole sieve, you know, and uh, but I think yeah. that's 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 what we're trying to achieve is to uh, uh, to really make it as, as fine, uh, as fine as possible. Um, do you want to talk about testing a little bit or like what you wrote tonight and how you're looking at the future here? I know you were really excited about the, the validity of the lamp test potentially coming down the line and some of the new things you see on the horizon. Um, you and I, you know, watch videos about paper tests and those kinds of things. What, you know, it's really kind of new territory, but this is this preventative testing is really beginning to take off, isn't it? Sorry, it's my son who was the model. Is he peeking in? I saw. Yeah. <laughs> peeking into the zoom. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, you know, again, it's it's amazing how this field is developing, and uh, and I think the, the there are there are two, I think two main streams in this whole uh, you know testing uh, R and D. One stream is looking at how to make the test as portable and as cheap as possible. So to make it like, you know, we were laughing uh, before everybody joined, uh, you know, spitting on a piece of paper and then you're going to get your, uh, your result within 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the, the, the methodology. And this is, this is a bit what we're trying to already get into with this testing protocol in school. We're trying to get into this habit of testing frequently and making sure that, again, if we do catch something, we don't let it spread. Right really lock it down and then yeah exactly action and and get our time away and get our retests and then find and our get our retests etc and that's you know again last time or two times ago i was talking about this uh, you know frequency trumping sensitivity uh, and there's this very nice uh, research paper showing that uh, you know increasing test sensitivity by a hundred times oh, but you could increasing test sensitivity by a hundred times only improves the level of detection of the virus or uh, the level of reducing the transmission factor by about five ten percent but increasing the testing frequency from every two weeks to every week for example it quintuples this efficiency okay so uh, from like uh, 20 percent to almost 90 percent 
So, uh, so that's one stream, you know, to make it as, uh, to, to make this screening, this frequent screening of asymptomatic individuals possible. Then you have the other stream, which is to make the lab tests much more modern, much quicker, much less reliable on uh, specific, uh, you know, and very sophisticated and expensive equipment. So we have today this PCR methodology, which is this dinosaur in, uh, in terms of molecular biology. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, I'm, I'm not that old, but I'm, I was still learning PCR uh, in uh, my undergrad as a kind of already an old technique. No, it was, uh, and it was kind of 90s, it was the 90s, okay? So uh, the PCR is a 40 plus year old technology. And uh, today, when you look at genetic testing and PCR is a genetic testing method, PCR is regarded as really, really old and really, really bad. Okay, so in oncology, for example, nobody is using PCR anymore. Okay, I mean, right. some, some, let's say LDCs, least developed countries, they are using PCR, but today it's about next generation sequencing, about whole genome sequencing, nobody's using PCR. PCR is really outdated, is really old, is really bad, is really inaccurate. Uh, but NGS and WGS is so expensive and so, uh, so uh, you know, precise that obviously it's uh, for COVID, it would be impractical. So here we, we have this lamp technology. And here, you know, we are trying to, uh, what we're trying to accomplish is to make this PCR test faster uh, with the same sensitivity and use as uh, the least invasive uh, technique for getting biological samples. So we have this lamp test, which is a bit of a PCR test, but much simpler, much more modern. It's based on primers. It's based on a completely different approach to amplifying the the genome, the, the sequence in the uh, in the RNA of the virus. So it is a quick technique. It, instead of kind of three, four hours, it takes about 15 minutes uh, for a positive result and uh, about 45 minutes for a negative result. And um, we are testing one of those LAMP tests of, uh, uh, of our partner, our scientific partner on saliva, okay? And obviously saliva would be great. I would love saliva to be the one because then, yeah. uh, you know, especially in kids, saliva has such a promise because asymptomatic and symptomatic kids, they uh, shed so much virus, like a thousand times more than adults, that saliva would be really perfect because you don't really need an extremely sensitive test because saliva is full of the virus in kids. So, so the slamp test would be a nice, uh, a nice add-on if we can validate it for pooling, because obviously pooling is our uh, you know, preferred method, uh, as long as we are below the 5-7% threshold of, or 5-10% threshold of uh, prevalence of, uh, of the disease. When we get to above, let's say 15-20% pooling will probably not make sense because the repeat sampling would be just uh, too often. But as long as we are below that, it, it makes a lot of sense. So, so this is uh, the, the kind of uh, the, the second stream of lab testing. And we're, you know, we as, uh, as a company, we are obviously more into the, more researching the lab testing because it's, it's a bit more readily available. And there are very nice Polish companies who are doing these tests, very uh, promising uh, early stage biotech companies who are uh, entering this, uh, this arena. And we're working with them uh, uh, to see whether we can also make this Polish test available, not only in Poland, but, uh, but globally. 
but I am extremely hopeful that uh, at some stage we will have this uh, this paper test and it will be readily available to everybody. And again, you guys will sit on the on the piece of paper and you will get your test result. And uh, all of this that we're doing in school will not be necessary, and uh, my job will be extinct. You know, that would be the, the perfect scenario for me as a, as a. It's brilliant because you know we've talked about that before. You're really yeah. trying to do yourself out of a job at the end of yeah, the yeah, day, exactly. You're trying, you're trying to That's end this contract at the earliest point possible. At the earliest possible, seriously, and. Uh, and again, my business partners would kill me for saying this, but me as a, as a physician, this is exactly what I'm trying to accomplish uh, because that will mean that uh, I've done my job, you know, and uh, I've done everything that is possible to protect uh, the kids uh, in ASW and everywhere else that we're working with. So, um, so let's see how this evolves. You know, it's, it's very promising, especially that again, with this frequent testing, you really don't need a 99.99% technology, uh, especially that even PCR, again, it's very old and it's not, it's not really that perfect. It is a gold standard because there's nothing else, but it doesn't mean that it's perfect. And, uh, <clears throat> and I've had some questions from parents, for example, asking about this nasopharyngeal versus anterior nares. Why are we doing yeah. the anterior nares and not the nasopharyngeal? <laughs> well, again, the nasopharyngeal is the traditional one. Uh, we have been doing nasopharyngeal for everything else. And uh, once COVID struck and we needed something, we went to nasopharyngeal. But then once time passed, everybody realized, oh my God, you know, the anterior nares is actually better than nasopharyngeal. It's actually more sensitive because there's more virus Yeah, you were there. saying that to me today and that kind of blew me away yeah. that, you know, the normal thinking would be, this is worse because it's not as deep or it's not no. there. But in actuality, you were saying the studies are now showing the other direction. Exactly, exactly. So that's where, uh, you know, again, and uh, it's, uh, I remember, you know, when I was, uh, I was uh, still kind of practicing frontline medicine a few years ago, there was this uh, uh, 19th century gynecologist who said that if you're doing in medicine, something uh, this, the same as you were doing 10 years ago, you're probably doing it wrong. Right. <laughs> so even in 19th century, they recognize that in 10 years, the you know, medical advancement would completely change medical practice. And uh, you know, here, obviously, the timelines are much shorter, yet we're still using this 40-year-old technology. Uh, but the timelines are much shorter. So now, you know, again, we really have to go with the, with the flow and really, you know, it's a bit, uh, we, we are sometimes probably uh, bringing solutions from the not so distant future to you guys, uh, because based on a lot of studies, based on a lot of data, this is, uh, this is, again, this is what is showing that this is right approach. And remember, you know, the regulatory agencies are still, uh, like the FDA, they're still so surprised by the, by the pace that they have to be using to approve all those tests. And again, right. there's no test today actually approved. It's all an emergency use authorization. Uh, right. So, so it's a it's a very specific type of uh, regulatory approval, which normally before COVID you would actually not see that frequently. Maybe like once a year there was something approved for emergency use, and here we have like hundreds of new tests approved for emergency use. So again, this this is a, a very different uh, a very different approach and. And again, we are now, uh, we are looking with this approach at ASW at this, you know, population health screening. It's a, it's a completely different way of thinking. And right. again, a bit, a bit futuristic, 
Uh, but again, this future is is now for you guys, and the future for the rest of the world will be into three months. Huh? That's that's my yeah. belief. But this because... is but this is why we've handed it to you, right? Because you're doing the step of taking those hundreds of emergency use, and you're doing the validation to yes. say, I'm going to add the prudency now to it, yes. even though it's solid science and it's solid research. Um, we're going to do the prudency step of making sure we're not picking the bad option that no. came out of exactly. those hundred emergency things. And we've all heard, you know, the stories about the tests that came out with, you know, 40% sensitivity yeah. or, you know, real problems in the early stages. That's not the case now because you're doing cross validation in your own labs exactly. to make sure that when you're making a recommendation and we're making a change or we're implementing this, that you've got the right tool for, as you said, the community protective health. Exactly, exactly. And we are validating, so far we have been validating uh, all of our uh, test kits uh, and the methodology, the protocol that we are using. Uh, we have validated uh, not only here with scientists in Poland, but with scientists at Stanford, at uh, Johns Hopkins, at Harvard. Uh, and um, we are working with a couple of labs in the US as well who are uh, currently validating this lamp-based test on saliva because they also want to go that way. Because in the US, as I'm sure you guys are aware, today you have to wait about five to nine days for a PCR test result. Right. And that's, so, again, based on this old test that we should really yeah. be kind of moving away from. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, to be honest, this is, this is pretty useless to do this test. Because anyway, you're going to be on a two-week quarantine. So why do you need the result in nine days if that's you know kind of saving maybe two three days from your quarantine right. and letting you know? Uh, and what is this information useful for? You know, if you if you learn that okay, I was sick nine days ago and now I have three days uh, that I'm not no longer no longer sick actually, it's not really all that useful. The testing has to be instantaneous. You have to know the result immediately because otherwise. It's completely useless. Like this glucose, I always come back to the glucose test, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, obviously the, if you want a proper, really, really, really accurate test, then you go to a hospital, uh, you get your fasting glucose, you get your uh, glucose tolerance test, you get your venous blood, you get your, uh, you know, really expensive uh, lab machine who is analyzing your blood glucose, and then you're kind of plus minus 3%. Okay? Right. Three days later. Okay, but uh, you have to take your insulin like in the next hour, not in three days, because in three right. days you will be dead. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the problem. And, that, so, and that's, and that's, as you said, that's the shift in thinking that has the us shift thinking, thinking more about prevention, more about quick and simple, yes. more about accurate, but accuracy is mediated by frequency. By frequency, yes, exactly. And we are, and it's not to say that we are inaccurate. Again, the tests we're using are, you know, they have a 96 plus percent sensitivity, 99 plus percent specificity, validated on hundreds of patients now, and um, uh, validated also by us on the anterior nerves. So again, you know, uh, I really feel very confident that this is, uh, that this is uh, the, the best that we can do. Uh, for you guys. And again, with this frequent testing, um, you know, the, the threshold that everybody is talking about is like 78%. And uh, you can look up Dr. Mina, you know, from Harvard, this uh, public health specialist from Harvard, uh, who was talking about this frequent testing approach and this home-based antigen tests. 
and uh, and he's kind of uh, he has a very nice approach to showing kind of why it really yeah, why it makes sense right why it makes a lot of sense what we are doing here is very frequent testing and uh, and and why this is the really the only way uh, to be honest if we are to create a safe bubble in schools in businesses this is this is the only way there's no other way today maybe it it will change in two three months uh, right. But today, this is the only way. Got it. Hey, um, one of the things that uh, people are asking for is maybe we should throw some more links out relative to some of the research papers and backdrops. So between you and I, maybe we can gather some additional uh, diagrams. Sure. And then if you have a chance uh, for maybe for next week's e-notes, we'll write a little bit more about your validation process when you, go, what you guys go through in your labs in order to do that cross-validation before we move things out. Sure. And then of course, soon we wanna be talking about uh, parents taking samples at home yes. and the home kits. And so let's just put that on our future agenda. I don't wanna go deep into that tonight, but mm -hmm. uh, I wanna thank parents for all of their uh, questions out there and for the ones about um, the specific kinds of things that you're asking, um, let us put some additional links together like we did for our making the case for uh, yeah. school weekly testing. Um, and we'll send those out so that people can take a look on their own at the foundational research that's kind of guiding your practice as you mm -hmm. continue to advise us as partner. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, we've been on for about an hour and 13 minutes, and I appreciate the questions. It looks like some of the other questions were handled by administrators as they were going through. Um, just, to, just to summarize, yes, the app will be aligning itself in the next couple of days. So be aware, Friday, late, early Saturday, all of those dates on when tests are next due will change. And it's based on the way we've scheduled kids this week. Um, to do their testing in school, because that's based on scheduling, not based on when their first test was. And so we're doing that in order to establish the schedule for the year. So stay tuned on that. If you still have app problems, please write to tech support at Epixpert. Uh, I've sent that out in a couple of newsletters. Please get to them to get the last of your issues sorted out if you're still struggling. Um, the vast majority of our parents are in and everything's going well and they're getting the green signal and they're getting okay for school. So if you're still struggling or you're still seeing not what you expect, reach out to support, reach out to me and I'll get you in touch with support and we'll get the rest of these issues sorted out. Um, similarly for staff and for others where we're still seeing these anomalies, we'll get these all sorted by week's end. And then uh, the other heads up is we're hopeful that we'll be able to start deploying our RFID wristbands uh, next week. And so they're here. They're they're being coded. We're working the process right now and getting us ready to go. And that'll smooth out our process um, at our entryways where we're now checking uh, lists to make sure we've got all the right information in front of us. Um, Dr. Olashuk, one last question, just because it popped into my head. Um, you, if somebody ticks a box, box on a sore throat, is that likely to exclude them for the day? So the so when you do check one of the symptoms, it does exclude you for the day. Okay. okay. So if you have fever or any of the so question one and two, so far we have coded them in a way that you know the symptoms are the most worrisome, huh, to be honest, because everything else is a bit of a, a question.
question mark. It's a bit of a, you know, kind of uh, risk assessment. But if you have symptoms, we are worried because uh, obviously it doesn't have to be COVID, but it can be any other thing. And we don't want any other thing at school either. So uh, yes, for now, this is the case. Okay. So as we- if you next day, If next day you say you're mm -hmm. fine, then you're okay, right? So it's not like you have to quarantine for 14 days if you have fever today. So if the so if the survey the next day says no, then it'll then it'll clear itself and correct, yeah. and that's how we how we how we figure those things out. Correct. So so again, it is about symptoms might exclude more kids on a more consistent basis. We're going to start tightening that up come uh, next week as we get the app aligned. So just being aware of that symptomology, and maybe we'll have to write a couple of things to give people sure. a heads up as we start to hone in on that. And that's the same as if we get kids through the front door with the temperature, you know, we're going to take those kids aside. Yes. We're going to double check it. We're going to contact parents um, that that as it gets tightened down is going to be part of our puzzle as well. And again, it's all about stopping at the door. Yep. Okay. All right. I just, I'm sorry. I apologize for waiting on that one. That one just uh, uh, reminded me as I was reading something else on uh, the stream here. So thank you again so much for your voice tonight. Thanks to all of my participants, uh, Mr. Flattiger, Ms. Monroe, uh, Mr. Sheehan. Uh, thank you for taking us through hybrid tonight. And again, thanks everyone out there for your wonderful comments that are also uh, woven through this, uh, this feed tonight. We thank you so much for your questions and also for your thanks and for your praise and for everything that you're doing to help us make this work for all of our kids and for all of us, uh, you know, we're really in this together. And so it is about uh, work together. We're all, we're all participants in this. Have a wonderful evening, everyone. I'm going to switch and head to the music. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. And uh, we'll see you next week.